The next speakers feature the team leader of the number one team in Massachusetts. Make some noise for Lisa Chinati. Chinati, adi, 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 adi. She goes by her rap name, Little Chinati. Uh, we also have the team leader of the number one team in Pennsylvania, also an incredibly age ambiguous individual. I can't tell if this guy's a 14 year old boy or a 47 year old teenager. Tom Tool, the man, the man I was picturing naked. And last but not least, team leader of the number one team in Connecticut, co-founder of BAM, the angriest man in real estate. No, it is true. He, he's probably upset that you guys are here and not chained to your desk with a Vulcan dialer lodged up your rectum making cold calls. Byron Lazine, ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for... Knowledge Brokers! We're going to do the live podcast right now. So if you aren't getting educated about current market conditions, whether a lot of you guys are in real estate, we got some people in tech here, finance, accounting, whatever, you're doing your clients and yourself a disservice, this is the Knowledge Brokers podcast. We do this every single week with Byron Lazine and Lisa Chinati. I'm Tom Tool, and what we have going on today is we've got this Fed meeting happening right now. As of five minutes ago, there's a 99% chance we're going to see the Federal Reserve keep rates where they are, the federal funds rate. We see that the Dow is up 100 points right now reacting to that. Oil prices are falling. Mortgage rates are coming in around seven and a quarter is what we saw yesterday, today. So there's some stability in the market. I'm more concerned about what Jerome Powell is going to say at the press conference. This was kind of expected. We've been talking about this for weeks. The guy's a snollygaster, which if you don't know what that is, he's one of these slimy politicians that kind of says one thing, gets predictions wrong all the time. So how do you think his comments and the Fed's comments are going to be? What, what are we going to hear at the press conference in about four hours? I'm expecting when I listen back after cocktails tonight, and because we'll have to talk about it in the hot sheet tomorrow, I'm expecting him to talk mostly about the labor market to be honest. Um, the last few meetings, he spent maybe two to three minutes out of 45 minutes, you know, talking about housing that the Fed really believes that they've already broken the housing market. So the, the amount of time he's going to spend on our industry will be a lot less than, than some of the other pressing issues. The Fed is still rooting for a labor market break. And Logan Motoshami from Housing Wire says this all the time. He says they won't be satisfied until they break the labor market, meaning layoffs, which is one of the only ways we can probably get inventory. I know we're going to get into inventory. Uh, we've seen an increase in the last week, but still not near the levels that any of us would like to see in our market if we're going to satisfy buyer demand. At the same time, buyers are in such a crunch that they continue to, you know, the sales continue to plummet. And that's been the real crash in our market is the amount of transactions, 21 and 22 late 20 were the anomaly for transactions. It's like a once every hundred year market when you look at the amount of volume that was pushed through. And now we're back to reality that this is a really hard profession to be in. And those in the room that were in this profession in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12 know exactly what I'm talking about. But you know, going back to your overall point about Jerome, I expect them to do nothing. They're really good at that. 
that's why they were out in Jackson Hole recently, spending our tax money, but do nothing in terms of the target uh, rate, and I think they'll just leave it where it is. The market's priced in for that to happen. They'll announce it at 2 o'clock today, and, and then we'll just have to continue to watch inflation. Totally. I think, uh, I think the longer-term thing is, or what we should all be keeping an eye on, is both what's said but also what's not said. Because I think what's not going to be said is any talk about where the rates are going, when the rates are going to decrease. And I think that that lack of statement is going to create some additional volatility. And I think kind of ties into what we're feeling in buyer demand. So like a good segue in is we're seeing a lot of um, change. And I think we've all kind of felt it in our markets, especially over the past couple of weeks. So uh, ran some quick stats or was pulling some quick data right before we came up here. And last week was one of the lowest weeks of new pendings that we've seen over the past 12 months, with only 59,000 new contracts opened across the country. So the market is definitely getting a little bit squishy, if you will, and softening in that respect. To put it into perspective, that 59,000 new pendings is down 10% from this same week last year. And what we all know in this room is that it was about 52 weeks ago when the market turned. So kind of impactful to understand that the new pendings are down over the start of the down last year. Not only are pendings down, we also saw the highest number of contracts blow out in August. According to a Redfin report, it was 15.4%. It was 60,000 of the agreements that went through, and that was up from about a percentage point from last year. So there is some hesitation in the market right now. The blowouts, to me, are just as important as the pendings being down. Without a doubt. And understanding, I think one of the big things to kind of keep in mind is as we were heading into Q4 last year, I think a lot of the things that we were all talking about is that rates were high, but that buyers should buy because there would be the ability to refi. I think probably most of us in this room including myself, believed that rates would take a little bit of a, a dive as we headed into some point throughout this year. And I think what we're seeing now is that buyers are coming to the reality that 8% might be a possibility with everything going on in the Fed, with the the lack of kind of downward movement. So where buyers last year were thinking, all right, I can still buy and refi out into a lower rate, I think right now buyers are at the realization that if they buy at seven and a quarter, they're not going to be able to refinance that down into the sixes or the fives, probably for the next one to two years and potentially maybe even longer. Yeah, Mortgage Banker Association every 30 days keeps inching up their outlook upwards, right? So in, in just, I don't know, 60 to 90 days ago, you could still say, hey, well, Mortgage Banker Association is projecting that. By the end of this year, we're going to be at 6% going into January 1st, back down on the 30-year fix, at 6. And that at the end of 2024, we're going to be back down closer to the low fives. Well, they've jacked that up a half a percent in both cases. And so the theme is higher for longer. There's a lot of hesitancy for investors on 10-year, which is you know closely tied to the 30-year, to invest in that. And there's a lot of investors in Wall Street Journal and other places that have been quoted as saying, you know, I'm, I'll be interested in the 10 year when it gets to five and a half. Well, if or when it gets to five and a half, we will be over 8% right. on the 30 year okay. fix. And you're going to continue to see in that world transactions suffocated. Zillow's uh, 
you know, got some data out there that we're going to be in about a three. 0.25 million transaction world, which this year we've been living between four and four to four and four and a half million on a 12 year annual on transactions far off of the 6 million, 6 million is, you know, 12 million sides. We're dealing with 8 million sides. Well, 3 million would be 6 million sides. And we were, I think we were at dinner last night talking about, um, that stat where it's like 39%. Maybe we're in the mastermind. Maybe somebody brought it up in the mastermind. Uh, we were talking about 39% of a reduction in agents is what NAR had projected. Well, we're also talking about a 50% reduction in total transactions. Okay, so if it's a 40% reduction in agents, it's like, okay, well, there's more for everybody. But there's a 50% reduction in transactions. I still think people that are living in a room like this are going to rise to the top and can grow transactions in this market. So I'm not saying that to scare anybody. But the reality is we've got to go much wider with our conversation. I know we're going to get into some conversations here in a little bit, but we've got to go a lot wider in this market to be able to capture that. So a lot of this, I mean, you talk about there's going to be less transactions. Well, we've also got these lawsuits going on right now. The, the Remax just settled for $55 million. I, I think I helped you guys break the story on BAM before. Thank, in. We got it before everybody. Yeah, that was Thanks awesome. to Tom. Um, we saw Anywhere settle for $83.5 million. Uh, the big thing coming out of the emails and the communication I heard from Nick Bailey, the Remax CEO, was there's going to be might be some changes to franchise agreements, which I found pretty fascinating. You didn't really get any intel on Anywhere, um, what, what, what the terms of this settlement are going to be. And with less transactions, you've got higher rates, you've got less home selling, and you've got pressure on buyer agent commission now, potentially, depending on what the terms of these settlements are. Well, there's going to be a lot of ways that knowledge brokers need to pivot and adjust their business plan compared to where they were even this year. Forget 21 and 20, but what they're doing right now. So what, what's your take on these settlements, number one? Because everyone's going to settle. I don't think there's any question at this point. Once Remax did, I, I think that's pretty clear. And then secondly, what should the people in this room be thinking about? What should be the listeners on the podcast be thinking about in terms of how to approach their business differently starting like today. This is not something you want to wait till next year for. This is like immediately you need to start doing these things. Well, I, I said this last week on the podcast. I think that the settling is good. Uh, went to my okay. office and asked all of my agents to raise their hands if they even knew that the settlement had happened. That was just last week when Anywhere had come out. And out of the 150 agents in the room, only three of them rose their hands. And so what's impactful to me with the settlements is that we're keeping a lot of this out of the mainstream media. If this goes to trial, I think it becomes much more mainstream media where the consumers are going to hear about it much more front and center. Uh, the interesting thing, I think, with a lot of it in the settlements, and this kind of came up at the dinner last night or the mastermind as well, somebody in, this mar in the room here said that they have a billboard in their market uh, that said... Um, if they had sold a home in the past five years to reach out, right? I think that there's going to be some of that kind of, it's like the, the mesothelioma ads that we all hear and see on TV where it's kind of like a play on money. But I think understanding a few things, nobody wants the industry to go bankrupt, right? Like that's number one. It's a money grab. But the billion of billions of dollar numbers that we've been hearing, that would bankrupt the industry and nobody would get any money out of it. So it's a money grab. For what we all need to know, I think contracts are going to change. I think the disclosures are going to change that we put out with our sellers. I think we're going to see some changes in simply how the money moves. And I've been saying this for a while, that I think compensation is still going to happen. 
I think it could have a really negative impact for your consumers, depending on where you are right now. We're in a 2% market in Massachusetts. The average co-broke that we see offered out is 2%. Most of our agents are happy to just take 2%, and they don't typically write in 25 or 3%. When compensation goes away, however, when there's nothing offered in the MLS, I see a world where agents are now making the ask for 25 and 3% in an offer to purchase which could actually negatively impact the seller clients that all of this was designed to protect. And I know we've kind of chatted about this because we're each in different co-broking mm -hmm. situations, but I could see a negative impact in some markets for the consumers that we're trying to help. This is going to be fascinating because there, there's so many people, and you really got to change your language. We talked about this. You can't go into an appointment anymore saying, hey, here's the normal fee. Here's the standard fee. Scripting is going to be more important than ever. And knowing exactly how to say that. These commercials will come. We talked about this at a brokerage yeah. meeting when we talked about the Anywhere settlement about a week ago. And it's, hey, I had a question literally right before I flew down here on Monday night with a for sale by owner. Hey, do we have to pay a buyer agent? The question came up. And the timing on that is pretty fascinating. I don't know if these people knew about it or not. We signed the listing with a co-broke, so it ended up not being an issue because we knew what to say. You've got to answer that a lot differently now. Hey, here's the pros and cons of offering out compensation to a buyer agent. Here's how we have to do this. I'm part of the Bright MLS. They already eliminated the compensation rule preemptively before any of this happened. So that's the second largest MLS in the country. If you don't think they're getting ahead of this, just like everybody else, and you're going to have to be able to show up and show value. The days of, I caught the Zillow lead. I was here first. I showed the home. That's my commission. Those are over. And it's going to be about delivering value and showing consumers exactly why they should hire you. And they're okay with maybe paying a portion of the fee themselves. Yeah, I, I continue to hear this is such a long way out. This is going to get dragged out. These lawsuits started in 2019. It's 2024 in just a few months. The long time excuse that we've got time has run out. And this is all going to really take shape here in the next 12 months and refigure how we do our business. It's just the reality of where we're at. Um, so I do think we need to take it seriously. And when I was talking about going wide, it, this is the market that we're in. When I say going wide, it's talking to a lot of people. It's not being an agent who does their business through showing time. There was a lot of that in 2021, just showing time agents. A lot of agents that were bedroom agents one, because of the health crisis, but two, because it's like, I work better from home. That stuff's going to go away. Nobody's going to crawl through your bedroom window and give you a listing. And us understanding that, knowing that we need to be in the field now more than ever, deeply enriched in the community, going wide on the conversations, willing to help a lot of people, jacking up the conversations today, because a lot of people aren't going to transact in 2025, and understanding that, but that's how you're going to prove that buy side value, especially being in it for the long term journey, being the deal maker on every single move they need to make in the community. It goes well beyond getting to the closing table and it becomes, you know, a helpful resource in managing all areas of that investment. So if you're looking to level up your business, scale it out, be able to manage more clients, have a bigger pipeline, you're going to need a reliable CRM. And as a Boomtown user since 2016, we've got some exciting news that KV Core and Boomtown are now part of the same family. And that means they've come together. 
They're using all their knowledge, all their tech, and they're making an even better CRM that's going to help you scale your business, sell more houses, talk to more people, and manage your leads more efficiently. And if you're like Lisa, she's in her CRM every week. She's in her CRM every day. I think that's what she does in her free time. And she's constantly looking at it to make sure that the opportunities aren't slipping through the cracks. That's what a great knowledge broker does. So if you want to get your business to another level, lean into Boomtown. Visit boomtownroi.com slash knowledgebrokers for more information. Again, it's boomtownroi.com slash knowledgebrokers. I'm a boomer since 2016. It's leveled my business up tremendously. Lisa loves her CRM. Byron does too. You should do the same. Get with Boomtown. This is also going to lead to a lot of objections, a lot of questions from consumers. People, you know, there, there's a wide array of consumers, right? You got your sphere that they, they tend to kind of listen to you if you've done transactions, you're, you're their go-to. Then you get the people you don't know, which is the bigger group, right? And, and to me, you're talking about going wide on conversations. You got to talk to the people you don't know. If you're not doing that, you're not able to grow your business. They're going to have a lot of questions for you. And, and when it comes to objections, and these guys want to do some objection handling well, now. I want to jump in. Lisa and I are going to like pretend like we're the the couple okay. here well, selling the house. If you, then to sit properly, if you so. go into like the second or third page and read Lisa's quote, you'll, <laughs> you'll see who's going to wear the pants out of this <laughs> fake relationship here. Um, Better than our caveman relationship from a couple weeks ago. That's right. We, we had a relationship on a couple pods ago. Such a uh, sneaky link up in there. Yeah. So the objection and the conversation and being able to navigate these difficult situations is going to become paramount, right? The showing time agent isn't going to be able to have these types of conversations. It's also our opportunity to take over in this market. I think it's also important to point out uh, one of the conversations that I've heard and as I'm starting to understand the lawsuit even at a deeper level is that there was this uh, feeling that brand new agents shouldn't be compensated the same as an agent who's been in the business 5, 10, 20 years and that inherently there's a different value that should be uh, awarded to each agent or a different level of compensation. And one of the unfair unfairness things or... Uh, Grammatically, that's not correct, and I get it, but I don't know how to correct it, um, is that uh, that brand new agent, by virtue of the seller compensation being offered out by the seller, the buyer agent compensation being offered out by the seller, unfairly enriches agents who are doing their first, second, or third transaction and puts those that have had close hundreds of transactions at a disadvantage by saying that they're worth the same as an agent that's brand new to the industry. So looking at the number of agents that are going to decrease, I actually think we're going to start to see a better leveling of the playing field with those that really want to treat it as a profession, those that are in it to actually earn true money, because I think those part-time agents are really going to struggle to be able to get the full level of compensation that it's going to take to stay in the industry. So, so Lisa, if we were planning to sell one of your multiple palatial estates in the Boston market, we're going to sell one of your properties, not any of mine, keeping those. <laughs> okay. And Tom's coming in for the listing. What would be one of the first questions you ask of Mr. Tom Toole? Tell me about your experience. Sure. So here's what I know, Lisa. I've been doing this 20 plus years. We've helped thousands of people buy and sell their home. But more importantly, we know what to do here. We've got a process that's going to be a lot different than what the average agent does because most agents are going to come in here they're going to tell you, hey, we're going to put it on the internet. We're going to put a sign up. And then they're, they're going to cross their fingers and hope somebody shows up and brings a buyer. Does that sound really proactive to you? 
Well, I, I've got a question, Tom. That sounds great, <laughs> by the way. But I notice it seems like you do have a lot of experience, but not necessarily here in my community. You know, I, I don't really see your name here or your team's name inside my gates. So what, what experience do you have here? This is a different community than five minutes away, of course, you know. Sure, sure. So it's a great question, Byron. And there's going to be some people that they focus on certain neighborhoods and that's all they sell. And here's the challenge of hiring those people. They probably got a couple other listings or a couple other consumers right in your neighborhood. And when they're showing the home and maybe they're showing one of their other listings, they don't care which one of those sells. They just want to sell one of them. When you hire someone like me, our job is one, is one thing, to get the home sold and get you the best price and the best terms. This is a black and white business. So I'm going to show you how we can level that exposure up and capture not just the people that are online looking at Zillow and other websites, how we're going to go out and find buyers and bring them to your property. And I'm imagining that's the kind of agent that you want selling one of your biggest assets. And I love, I love mentioning what, what Tom just mentioned there, the MLS to Zillow feed. I mean, that's about 70% of the market right? That you're going to capture just by that one feed. And you can actually put agents in a box by letting them know, hey, if that's the only feed you're, you know, concerned with that most agents rely on, right? Put them all in a box without putting anybody down. You might as well go for a sale by owner on your own, right? That takes the guard down. It's like, whoa, I haven't heard anybody say I should go for a sale by owner. Nobody's going to go into a listing and say that. But you've taken all of the agents in the market, put them at, in the same category as for sale by owners. And then you articulate your plan to expose to the 30% of eyeballs that are outside of Zillow, because there still are 30% of eyeballs on listings that don't live in that world. We need to have a plan to present to that. So I love that, that you mentioned that. Lisa, what would be your next question to hammer them with? So, I mean, what are you going to charge in order to do this? So our fee is normally 6%. And what I found it's most important, you feel like I'm the right person to get the home sold. So I'm going to show you exactly what we're going to do differently. I'm going to walk you through how we bring buyers to the table, how we have a pre-launch program instead of just popping up on the MLS and seeing what comes in. And I'm going to show you the results you can expect and then give you a ton of reviews from our clients. So we can talk about the fee at the end, but if you don't think I can sell the home, it doesn't matter what I would charge you because you wouldn't hire me anyway, right? It's a fair point. Fair point. This sounds great. I think we'd, we'd move forward with you and because Lisa really, she wants to go buy five million leads for a new business that she's starting up. So she wants to take the money and reinvest it over there. It's out her shoes. Yeah, but I just don't know. I don't know where it, or, <laughs> or a purse. Uh, but I don't know where we would move, Tom. And so uh, I don't even know if it's the right decision for me to give up this rate uh, and for me to go and take this money and, and move somewhere else. We have a couple options, but is this the right time for us to cash out of this property and, this, and more importantly, this mortgage rate? Sure. So where do you want to move to? What, what's the what's the end? What's the game plan here? Yeah, I mean, she, I mean, she wants to move into one of our other homes, but I'm, I'm just worried about giving up this rate. Sure. So if, if you didn't decide to move, what's your backup plan here? Just stay longer. Tell me more about what, what you're looking at if, if you decide not to sell, because that, that's an option. You don't have to sell the house. I think we might rent it out. Rent it out. OK. So have you had any experience with rental properties before? Uh I mean, we own a couple of okay. multifamilies. So multifamilies are a little different than this 5,000 square foot home that you've obviously been here for a while taken care of. So who do you have that's going to help you manage the property? It's a great question. Uh, is the, do you expect the tenant to take care of landscaping and snow removal and all those other things? And do you think they're going to keep it the same way you do? Because 
if you do decide to sell, you're probably going to have to put more money into it anyway. And how long would you rent it out for? What's your what's your time frame to rent it? I don't know that we've decided that. The reason I ask is this has been your principal residence, right? Mm -hmm. So once you rent this for more than a couple years, you might be paying capital gains tax, which is 20, 30%, depending on how much money you guys make. So you might actually be taking a loss on it if you're planning on renting out long term. And this is a great question for your accountant. Most agents, they don't even think about capital gains, by the way. So I'm really glad you asked this question. And that's where we can really help you make a great decision here. There's an opportunity there to get connected to the accountant, right? Let me send them over all the data that I'm going to share with you because you're the real, you are the real estate expert. You need to be seen as that housing expert when it comes to the pricing component of the market. And of course, we all want another CPA contact. So at any point, you can get that email to send that information directly to the CPA. Um, it's a really valuable approach. I was going to say, and the more people that you have referring back to you. No, we're not actually. <laughs> yeah, well, so if we did decide to sell with you, how would you price the property? What do you think it's worth? So this is a longer conversation. What I, I'm going to give some guidance here on how to do a market analysis where show them the public records information, square footage, beds, baths, all that stuff, any active competing listings. Look at time on market on those. If it's on the market more than a month, that's a market rejected property. It used to be 90 days. Now it's like 30, right? So here's what you're competing with. Here's the pending sales. Here's where the market's moving to. And then here's the last six months of sales that are like yours. And I use words like bigger, newer, larger, or smaller and compare them very clearly. And instead of telling them the price, Lisa, I like to go over the data and say, hey, so guys, what do you think about the value of your home after seeing all this information? Or, or bringing up, you know, as you're doing the tour, if you're outside and, you know, if you, you can see a home that's sold for a certain number, what do you think of, you know, mm -hmm. the 900000 that, your neighbor got and get their reaction off of some of those numbers, especially in this market. I want their number before I give them a sure. number every single time. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways you can do that naturally throughout the conversation uh, when you're moving through the home. Yeah, we're big believers in the pre-qualification call. So I'll actually ask them on the phone before I go out. So, hey, Byron, what do you think the property's worth? Yeah. Just out of curiosity. And That's a great time to do it because you're not in the home. In the home, they may put up their guard, but on that pre-qualification call, just what do you guys think the home's worth, generally speaking? Obviously, we're going to give you a full analysis, um, but they're more likely to mm -hmm. just throw a number out. Yep. And what do you do if their number is grammatically out of line with what yours is? How do you handle that? So that's a, that's a great question. And in this market, I it all comes back to one thing. How motivated are they to move? I mean, if, if people are motivated, they're typically going to move. We've heard of the Ds, right? Death, divorce, diplomas, or degrees, whatever it is, diamonds, right. diapers. diapers. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know them all de-relocation, default, all those things. If there's a motivating factor, uh, and, and I, I use this an anecdote from Friday or Monday night, the, we thought the number was a little high at first. Then when I'm going through the prequel, I find out they're getting divorced. They're trying to sell it on their own. And then all of a sudden, everything comes out on that call. And now I'm like, well, this is a much better appointment than I thought it was because I knew what I was walking into. And we said, hey, why don't we test the market a little bit at this number? And if it doesn't come, if there was ever a market to test, that would be the time, right? And if it doesn't, we're going to have to talk about what you want to what you want to do after a couple of weeks and start to future pace that literally as you're getting the listing signed because you don't want it to be one of those situations. And this probably happened all three of us, I would imagine. Oh, you told me this price and it's not selling. Like that's a, and this is probably the toughest conversation in real estate is the price adjustment. A lot of agents haven't had to do one of these ever because of the market. This is a skill. And you mentioned the 2008 market. 
I would sit in my office for two hours on a Thursday, call every single seller I had and ask for price adjustments when homes weren't selling. Painful two hours. But it was my weekly phone call to them. You had your communication guarantee, which you yep. need to bring back for sure. It's a weekly phone call. And if it's not moving, maybe you're having the same conversation every Thursday. But it's time block. It's painful. You're getting it out of the way. And it's put to bed before the weekend. So you don't have these people blowing up your phone Friday night, Saturday morning. And if they do, hey, well, we, we talked about what to do. Let me know how, what you decide. In the, in the last week, we've seen an increase in price reductions nationally. I was just going to give that number. It's... 36% of listings on the market had uh, sitting on the market right now. So there's uh, 519,000 listings sitting on the market nationally. 36% of them have had a price adjustment while it, sitting on the market. In 2015, during the same week, we had 1.2 million active listings. So the unaffordability of this market is highlighted when you read out that number that we only have half a million active listings, not the 1.2 million, and yet a third of them are reducing price. Typical supply and demand, when you have this little inventory, you're just going to keep seeing prices rise. We've hit the top. We're in the most unaffordable market ever, according to NAR, since they've been tracking affordability. This is the least affordable market. There's still huge opportunity for people that can afford the $2,600 monthly payment. This fourth quarter is their opportunity to be hunting for homes while those price reductions are increasing. For the baby boomers who are just not impacted at all by the increase on the mortgage rate, I'd be talking to all of them. I don't know if you realize it, but 70 million people, baby boomers, control one-seventh of the world's wealth. The world. There's like 185 countries, 186 countries. 70 million people in this country out of 8 billion control one-seventh of the world's wealth. They don't give a shit if the interest rates are eight and a half. They want to make a lifetime move. And for those of you that are in this, that drove into Naples that are in this market, you have an abundance of those opportunities. So congratulations. But, but knowing who they are in your market and putting yourself in that position to have those conversations is going to be really important to protect your business over the next 12 months. So, so when it comes to these objections, there's a couple kind of just general things. If you're, you know, the, these scripts have been practiced. I mean, I've heard these. There's only like 13 objections, right? I think everyone needs to kind of understand that. We were talking beforehand. One, it's, it, this is an opportunity. It's a gift when you get an objection. It's not some concern. Don't like pop a hemorrhoid or freak out or do something crazy when you hear them. What you want to do is you want to realize, hey, this is a question of someone wants to do business with me. I need to clarify some things, which is normally what it is, or they're thinking about hiring me and I need to make it more compelling. And that's what an objection really is. Because if they're not asking you questions, either you got it in the bag, which normally isn't the case, or they're just not ready to hire you and they've talked to somebody else. So these are good things. And you want to kind of acknowledge it like, hey, Lisa, I hear you. Byron, I get it. Valid question. I'm really glad you brought that up because then you're, you're, you're not shying away from it. You're attacking it head on and charging the storm. Then, then address it like I did in a couple of these scenarios and then move on to another question because whoever asks the most questions controls the conversation. We've heard that from Phil Jones a number of times and that, that strategy really works. So when you have that mindset around objections, and let me tell you, you're going to get more objections now than you ever have in the past 24, 36 months. And that's okay. And the people that can handle them are going to be taking the lion's share of the 
X amount of sales that we see coming up in 2024. And for those of us that continue to remind ourselves, one question today does not mean, one question and rejection off of that objection does not mean that that's my reality tomorrow. It is an at-bat business for the next 24 months. It's, there's no simpler way to say it. And the at-bats on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, if you're running a team or if you're fully in production, those are the three most important days. This is a weekend business. Zillow's uh, data is very clear. Realtor.com's data is very clear. The increase in activity from consumers happens on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Not on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when all of our friends who have nine to five jobs are working, because they're all working. Our business happens on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's when the highest calls from consumers are being placed. And that is going to be the reality for the next 24 months. Are you tired of taking horrible courses offered by your local Realtor board or the NAR online classes? I know I am. And the fact is, you don't get a lot of value from those courses. So here's the good news. BAMX, your real estate edutainment platform is here. You can find out how to master objections with me, the objection handling king, practiced and scripted for over 20 years. You can learn how to use ManyChat with the broke agent and Jill from BAM. You can work with Lisa Chinati about managing your CRM, understand how to use Canva for marketing, get Instagram hacks. All this stuff is right there in BAMX. Just use the code KNOWLEDGEBROKERS, educate yourself, grow your business, sell more houses. We just have to accept it. 100%. We're going to do some uh, Q&A in any direction, right? Whether it's some of the, you know, heavier Fed stuff, economic stuff, if we can, you know, if we've got an answer for you, we'd love to jump into it. Or some of the sales stuff, or just throw it an objection at Tom and see if he can handle it. All right. So you kind of all set up this task, but all three of you, knowing what you know with all the inflation, what is your prediction for the interest rate for next year? I would say don't expect it to go under where it is. I, I don't expect a six handle, even though Mortgage Banker Association's outlook, which they're the most bullish, is 6.4 by the end of December going into January. The last 90 days, they just keep increasing that number. Every 30 days when they come out with their new outlook, it goes up. So that tells me they're trying to save face a little bit. And they're the most bullish. You have a lot of bears uh, that still have it sitting up over seven. So business plan 2024 should not have a six handle helping you out. Don't don't plan for uh, that white knight. I tend to agree, but and I I think that with that though, one of the big things that we're talking about in my office is the opportunity that does exist there. And I think it's I I broached it again a couple of weeks ago, I think, on one of these podcasts. But I think it's gonna I think. We should all be looking at those folks that bought in 2022 as the opportunity for our sellers in 2024. The two-year hold period for capital gains is kind of up at that point, but they likely bought above seven as it was. Um, and if prices soften a little bit, and there's no indications that they're going to, but year over year, our increase right now, like if we look at same month versus same month, we're only up 1%. Now, could those sellers who bought a less than ideal home uh, in 2022 because they felt like they had to be our sellers for 2024? I actually think they can be. 
And I think there's a really big opportunity there to understand if we market to them the right way with the right messaging that we might find some inventory. I mean, I'm, I'm in the same boat with, with these two that I just, un, until you see something dramatically change here, it, we're going to be in this interest rate climate. And there was a Fortune uh, magazine article, I think Lance Lambert put it together, where it was eight predictions that rates were going to be in the sixes a month ago. And, and I, I found that really hard to believe, uh, given everything that's coming out of the, you know, the Fed and, and the federal government and everything else. And the 10-year, I mean, it's retreated like a little bit today. It's down four tenths or four hundredths of a percent based on this Fed news. That's not much. That's got to come down for, for this to this to really come down. So I think you've got to be ready to deal with the market the way it is right now as an agent. So there's two scenarios where we would start seeing the interest rate drop like with speed. One of them would be catastrophic job loss across the country. We go into deep recession and the Fed starts cutting. We can all agree that's not good. We, we're not rooting for that. That's going to hurt our markets just as much as high interest rates. The other is we get to 2% inflation and we start leading up to it. The Fed will start cutting before we hit 2% and they start cutting rates leading up to that. Well, I'm seeing projections that we're not going to get to 2% inflation until 2025, right. potentially. So either scenario, one's for pretty far out. The other one's really bad. So it's just higher for longer. Yep. To be higher. I mean, historically, that's a great they, question. They I don't move know. in quarter points. I mean, I, I you know, it's, even on the way down. I mean, that that's historically normally yes. I mean, I, I but I mean. It, they also raised it a half a point at one point this year, right? So, I mean, you don't really know. It's it's tough to tell. And the the, the challenge I have with the Fed is, like, the, anytime they, they're trying to manage something, it's like they have a fire in front of them. And they see the fire's getting too hot, so they call in, like, the, 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 the fire company and dump a bunch of water on it instead of, like, maybe just letting it burn out a little bit. And then when it gets too low, they put, like, gasoline, lighter fluid, and a ton of wood on, and it gets out of control. So they, they tend to overreact both ways. I'm just looking at history to tell me. I mean, it's, you know, the other thing to think about, too, is that we've got an election coming up this year, and I think they're going to, the economy, it's, it's one of the hottest issues among voters when you look at polling. It's like 60-plus percent of people are really concerned about the economic direction of, of the country. There was, these polls came out a couple of weeks ago. We talked about it on the pod. And I, whether we believe it or not, that's going to be a factor because these, these guys and gals want to keep their jobs, so and they want to get reelected. So I, I would imagine it'd be a quarter point. That's, that's just my prediction looking at, at, at history. And on the election front, for those of us that have been through a few of the presidential election cycles in our careers, those 90 days leading up to that have always been a wait and see moment. I'd imagine that's even more the case now where we're, we're like in this really, you know, um, divisive climate politically, the 90 days leading up to November 24. You're going to have a lot of wait and see. Well, maybe I'll move if my person, you know, the, all that kind of mm -hmm. crap from consumers. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for the, the shift.
are you lifting the property three percent and then it's being based on the deal forty percent? I think some of it will happen, and I think it's going to, I think, like anything, it's going to be unavoidable, right? I also, it breaks my heart because we've worked so hard as a country to put, to put in place representation, and I think where we're going to see it most is, unfortunately, in our lower income, lower, like, below the, the midline of affordability and those lower price points where the ability to pay 2 or 3% doesn't necessarily exist. It's interesting because I think the folks in luxury markets have been worrying about it the most. But I think when you start stop to really think about the dynamics that go into place, like, you know, myself, like I, if I was buying a home, I don't have the time to deal with it. I want the expertise. And I think those that have the means to pay for it are always going to pay for it. And where I think we're going to see some trouble is with, unless we have massive regulation changes, VA buyers where they can't use extra compensation, right? I think we're going to see it with those clients that are putting down 3 or 5% and maxing out all of their available assets. Unless we can put in place some education broadly across the industry about the strategies to get those things to go. We had a fascinating conversation at dinner last night, too, that was talking about how appraisals and debt-to-income ratios are going to factor into all of these things and the changes that need to happen on that front. But I do believe long term as a country we're going to put that back in place because representation for buyers is so critical to protecting those that need the protection. I would agree. Majority of price points, I don't see a huge swing in that direction. But I feel really bad for the low end price points. They're going to be the most inventory starved for the longest period of Mm -hmm. time. And then... Like agents should be thinking like builders right now. If you see builders, they've all gone to the high price points. They just have no, you know, time or energy to build affordable homes because of the regulations that are put on them in, you know, most of the municipalities. Uh, it's, it's unaffordable for them to build affordable homes. And agents should be, you know, this is terrible to say, but agents should be thinking about their business the same way. How do I move into the higher price points to protect my business? And we're leaving a lot of people behind when I say that. It's like, it sounds dirty to say. But flip side, right? I do think that there is opportunity on the sell side. I think looking at targeting buyers, I think you're 100% correct. And I hate to, like, I'm the last person that ever wants to say this because I'm so passionate about affordable housing. But I do believe that, to your point, on the lower ends, the buyers are going to go directly to the seller agents. And I think skilled listing agents can still negotiate a 5 or 6% commission from those lower price point listings with the ability to explain that they're going to be doing double work. But I think it's going to tie into some conversations about dual agency, which I'm passionately opposed to for a whole bunch of reasons. Well, this already happens, though. I mean, how many times does the seller say, hey, Byron, what's the fee if you sell it yourself? Mm-hmm. Right. Or, hey, I only want to talk to the listing agent. Who's heard that one before? So it's going to become more prevalent. And that's why I, I think these settlements are actually good because it's keeping right. it out of the news because there's always people out there that are shopping for the best deal. Same people that use LegalZoom and the same people that use TurboTax. And well, I, I mean, but if you don't, if, if it, 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 it's, it's real. And that's and that's how you've got to present it to a client. Did you do your taxes this year through LegalZoom? Then you probably should work with the agent 
who's offering a, you know, $600 fee, the fee agent is going to be, you know, a thing that pops up. It already has popped up. It already has popped up and it, it'll be, you know, more prevalent, but I wouldn't worry about it. All right. So we got one more question here. Well, I know Lisa will jump in. We'll, we'll take a couple extra minutes if we have to, because um, I do want to hear from Lisa. She's got the most agents on this panel. But one thing I'm not going to do ever is just confuse people with like optimism, like just being optimistic to be optimistic. I want to be realistically optimistic. And if you do these things, if you put in this work, these are the results you can have in any market. But I'm not just going to run around my office and pretend like 2021 is going to come back and that in January, all of a sudden, there's going to be a night, another light switch like there was this January. By the way, all the light switch that everybody was cheering about on Facebook and Twitter X and all these places, meaning agents, was a really small window and it was still a massive reduction in transactions. It was nothing like the two previous years before. So I don't want to live in make-believe land. I want to be very realistic and be a serious operator. These are the things that need to be done. It's a lot more conversations that need to be had in this market. And if you're not down with being serious, you're probably not going to want to uh, spend a lot of time with me. Yeah, I'll kick the lease in here a second. Dan, I just tell our team, hey, we run plays that work. We've been through this before. If you think now's tough, imagine what it was like in 2008 when people are losing their jobs and prices are going down and you're having those conversations sitting at the market. table. I was there. I went through it. And if you guys don't want to have these conversations, you might not be in the right business. If you don't want to talk to people on the phone, this business is not for you. And we are so clear on that when we bring people on and say, if you got a backup plan, you know what? Just come see me at the break and you can leave quietly because you're going to go to the backup plan when things get hard. And you've got to be that upfront with folks. It gets easier the more work you put in. But I want to hear what Lisa The agents that do really well, and then we'll kick it to Lisa actually have a vision for, for two years out. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not trying this. They got a business plan. Yeah. So I, it's not more what I'm saying, it's what am I doing. And for me, it's leading from the front in a way that I haven't done for years. I, I actually gave up my private office in the office and I moved my entire workspace out onto the sales floor. And I'm doing the, everything insanely transparently and I've also taken the strong stance that I'm above nothing. So I am making listing calls. I am at all of my recruiting calls. I'm posting my dials out on the center of the sales floor and putting up a daily tally of what I personally am doing. Uh, because I, I believe if my entire agent body and even my staff body sees that I'm above nothing and I'm doing the same amount of work and I've increased my working hours, right? And that if they see that I'm willing to make those sacrifices and that I feel that those same sacrifices are important, I think it helps them understand that it's really important for them. But conversely, I think it's also more important than ever, especially for those of you in this room who are in leadership positions, 
for you to be leading by example and showing them. We haven't taught our agents the scripts that Tom and Byron have talked about. We didn't need to in 2020 and 2021 and most of 2022. Standing in front of a training and saying this is the script is great, but what's 10 times more impactful is some of the stuff that Tom and Byron are doing, which is making those phone calls in front of your agents, taking those agents out on appointments with you, and showing them that you, you absolutely know what you're doing, how to make it work. And like I said, that it's not, none of that stuff is above you or beneath you or whatever the, whatever that expression is. And, and we're all doing this. I mean, all three, we talk three times a week. We've got accountability calls. I mean, this is not something that we're just up here giving a presentation. This is how we're running our businesses every single day. I mean, I'm taking someone on a listing appointment with you and walking out the door, having that same thing that Lisa's talking about, that's way more impactful than sitting in a room getting the classroom style training. And that's going to, the, the, the winners are going to rise and that's going to inspire those people when they see it works in person. Remember the first time you got a listing signed right in the room, like what that was felt like? Wow, that worked. I can't believe it. So when they see it happen, it, it goes a long way. You, you got to see it. And we're, we're, we're no different. We've just been doing it a long time. Right. And I think just as, just as important are the wins are the losses. I think it's super important for our agents to see that no matter how scripted we are, no matter how well we know how to handle the objections, that we lose, right? And that, it, and it's also, uh, Barbara Corcoran always says, it's not, you know, how big the hit is, it's how fast do you get back up? And what do you do after you take the L? And I think it's super important for our agents to see that, right? We're not, I'm not going to walk out of every listing appointment with a signed listing, but what do I do after? Things like the follow-up, the, the headspace, right? The mindset around it. I think all of those things come from leading by example. And showing them how obsessed you are with that follow-up, how obsessed you are with you've been told no, we're probably, probably isn't we're going with the other agent. Stay connected to that because a lot of agents will quick quit on we're probably going with the other agent. And that's where it stops for them. And that's the difference between that and everybody else.